about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. Then the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came. I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze Remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Let's keep going. 
Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, don't let your dream or its meaning alarm you. But Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from the heaven, saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, bound with iron and bronze, in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heavens. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree your most high has issued against the Lord my king, my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Isn't this the great Babylon I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips... A voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about King Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he's able to humble.
Hello, my name's Sam and I'll be doing Bible reading number two. It's on page 815 of the normal Bible and 1430 of the large print. Give you a moment to turn to that page. Here we go. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, boys. If you haven't met me, my name's Guan. I'm usually at Urko Church, as Suzanne said. Uh, but it's a real pleasure, real privilege to be with you tonight and bringing this word, looking at this word together. Uh, there's something that you need to know about me before we start, though. And it's this fact. If I ran the world, everything would be better. If everything was under my control, things would finally be okay. Now, before you get worried, before Matt comes and tackles this megalomaniac who's got up to preach, uh, I don't think that for real. Well, not most of the time. But I do have that thought some of the time. And I don't think I'm alone in that. That sometimes you just think, the world would be better if I was running things. Maybe it's when you see a certain injustice in the world and think, there was some rule against that, some law against that. Maybe it's the opposite, when you see some sort of uh, mindless piece of bureaucracy and think, if there weren't so many rules around, then maybe things would be better. If I ran things, I would make things better. We may not want the responsibility of running things ourselves, but I suspect we've all had this thought one way or another. If you're Australian, of course, it's usually expressed in reverse. As Australians, we love to be cynical about politics and politicians, love talking about how badly they run things, love complaining about the constant scandals or the lack of ethics, etc., etc. It's just a flip side of the first thought. They're doing things so badly, any idiot could get into the job and do things better. It's a desire, essentially, to change the world, to reshape the world. And you know what? That's actually a Christian thought. I don't know if that's occurred to you before. If you're a Christian, this is what uh, American Christian sociologist James Davison Hunter writes about in his book, To Change the World. It's kind of implicit in the title. When you're a Christian... It's not long before you start thinking about, how can I shape this world around me 
things around me, people around me to better reflect God's goodness to me? What are the best ways to do that? How can I, how can I do that well? Should I start a Christian institution? Should I go into politics? Should I go be a missionary? How do I change the world? And with that comes one more question, which brings us to the passage. What kind of power do I need to change the world? What kind of power do I need to shape the world? Now, Daniel 4 might seem like a strange place to go for a lesson about what power means as Christians in the 21st century, but bear with me because I think it's one of the best places we could go for a lesson about power, what it means and what it doesn't mean, how we can use it and what its limits are. Because if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, as we've started in this series on Daniel, you might remember that God's people start being powerless at the beginning of Daniel 1, right? They're exiles taken by this foreign king, strangers in a strange land. You don't get much more powerless than an exile. Except in Daniel 1, we have this rags-to-riches story as Daniel and his three friends get elevated in the service of Nebuchadnezzar. They get a shot at power. And then Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and Daniel's elevated in the court. By the end of chapter 2, he's made ruler over the entire province of Babylon. He's given power in this strange land. And then in Daniel 3, as we heard from Matt last week, we see Nebuchadnezzar with this blatant display of power. It doesn't get much more blatant. He builds this ginormous statue and then makes everyone bow before it or they die. That's power. Except for these three Israelites who say, we won't bow before this display of power because we only worship the true God. And so they go for a short walk in the furnace and they surprise everyone by making it a return trip as God shows his power by preserving their life. And so we've seen that God can raise the powerless to power, can give wisdom, can preserve life even in Babylon. And in Daniel 4, we ask the question, what's going to God going to do with this king? It's like this gigantic power struggle, the all-powerful king and the all-powerful God. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful ruler of his time. He's literally imported another nation to act as his slaves. He's able to make a gigantic statue just from his say-so. In his nation, he is all-powerful. And yet... Verse 4, something happens. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. Do you know what really terrifies people who have loads of power? Not having power. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and so he goes to ask his favorite dream interpreter, Daniel. Uh, And Daniel understands the dream as it's being explained to him. And I love there's this very human moment from Daniel in verse 19. He understands the implications of what he's going to say and he hesitates a moment to say it. He's not just someone who blurts out what he's thinking. You can almost see him tracing the implications in his head. Firstly, if he delivers this bad news to Nebuchadnezzar, maybe Nebuchadnezzar shoots the messenger. Secondly, he knows where he stands at the moment with the king and what's going to happen to Israel if the reign of this king ends. Uh, But despite these worries... Daniel trusts God and and he says it. He tells the news to the king. As a side note, I wonder if there's meant to be a little bit of irony here because 
Maybe it's with hindsight, but the interpretation of this dream is not that hard. You see, just a few chapters ago, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about this giant statue being destroyed, and they said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that giant statue. And now he has this dream about this giant tree that's being destroyed, but who's going to tell him what it means? What could that possibly mean? Well, Daniel tells him, verse 22, Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. And then we come down to verse 25 for the judgment. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. But did you notice with the judgment comes mercy, as it often does with God? That very next verse. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And then a chance for repentance, verse 27, therefore your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. And then do you notice Nebuchadnezzar's response between verses 27 and 28? It's this. Absolutely nothing. It's a deafening silence. There's no repentance, there's no acknowledgement that he's heard anything that's been said. The narrator just leaves out in response as if to say, nothing happened. There was no response to this great interpretation, this great judgment. Instead, we cut to the next scene in verse 29 with text on screen saying 12 months later and King Nebuchadnezzar walking on the roof of his palace, looking down at everything he surveys, saying, is not this the great Babylon I have built? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And so, as God promised, he struck down this would-be king who said he's greater than everything, becomes lower than the beasts of the field. Do you remember the order of things that God made in Genesis, way back in Genesis? He made humanity lord over everything, including the beasts, and now that order is tipped over as this so-called king becomes lower than a beast. From his rooftop, he's reduced to eating grass like an ox. Until verse 34, he's finally restored to his right senses. But not just that, he's restored to the right posture as well. For the first time, he's in the right posture, raising his eyes toward heaven, rather than looking down at everything he's made. Why does God do all this? Well, that was the bit that needed no interpretation in verse 17. You can see it there. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. That the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms. So surely now Nebuchadnezzar will acknowledge who God is. Surely now he'll say, yes, that is the Lord. And there is a bit of that at the top and tail of the chapter we get Nebuchadnezzar saying how good, no, how powerful God is. But there is something missing, I think. 
there's no sign of his repentance. There's no sign of his repentance. There's no sense of God dealing with him personally. Compared to... There's no sign of him saying, God, you are right. Not just you are powerful, but you are right and I am wrong. I have done the wrong thing before you. Deal personally with me. Because that is the only way I know to deal with the thing I have done. We've got a Christian jargon word for that. We call that repentance. And I wonder if you're in danger of being a bit like Nebuchadnezzar. Because I suspect in this day and age we actually secretly in our hearts want to be a bit like Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder if in this day and age our idols and aspirations look a bit like Nebuchadnezzar's. Maybe not the gigantic golden statue. But to get to a point where we can look down at all we survey, all that our hands have built, all the super accumulated in our accounts, rather than looking forward to the kingdom that has already been built, that is already waiting. I wonder if you're someone who's good at acknowledging that God is powerful in public, but actually struggles with dealing personally with this same God, dealing in repentance. I think that's a very 21st century way of Christians dealing with God. Oh yes, God is powerful. God can do anything. Look, God has given me so much. Except I don't need God's power just here because I've got this covered myself. Uh, God, you go worry about those people who actually need help. Oh yes, God is powerful, just not powerful enough to deal with all the things that I've actually got to deal with. That I've actually got on my to-do list. Do you know what the metric is for if you believe God is all-powerful? It shows in the things that you ask him to do. The things that you ask him for help with. If I ask him for help with everything, then it shows I don't believe in my own power, my own strength. I know I need his. If I ask him for help with just a few things, just when it's really hard, it shows that I believe in my own strength, my own power. It shows I believe in God as a safety net, as a get-out-of-jail-free card. So as we read this chapter, we know we're not meant to be like Nebuchadnezzar. So who are we meant to be like? The obvious answer then is Daniel. So what will it look like to be like Daniel from this chapter? Well, remember me saying that this passage is about power. So you might assume at this point, I'm going to say, we shouldn't have any power as Christians. We should all be humble. We should all go be monks, go grow vegetables somewhere. Which actually sounds a little bit tempting. But actually, I think the opposite is true. God wants you to have power. Now, if you trace Daniel's position through the path of this book, God gives him a position of power, gives him wisdom and language to find a prized place in the king's court. He has the ear of the king on more than one occasion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are given power as well, but they refuse that same power when it comes to choosing between it and God. Now, you might be thinking at this point, I don't have any power, I'm not ruling any provinces, Guan. What do you want me to do? Firstly, that's almost certainly not true. Uh, just as, generally speaking, well-educated, fairly middle-class people who live in Sydney's inner west, you have more power than a vast majority of the world. 
or you will have. And secondly, it's quite likely that you have a domain somewhere, big or small, in your life where you have some influence, some power, at work or in your family or with friends or sports club or online in this church, somewhere where you have some power. And so you have a responsibility to use that well. How do we do that? Well, I brought up that book, To Change the World, James Davison Hunter. Uh, One of his conclusions is about where we've gone wrong in changing the world, where we generally, again, as Christians, have gone wrong. Here's what we get wrong. We think we want power to change the world. And then we start thinking, well, it would be nice to have a bit more power, to change the world a little bit more. And suddenly power, rather than love, becomes the goal. It's one of the problems with Christians who want to change things politically. They start to idolise power as the means to do so. To counteract that, Hunter has this simple, eloquent phrase. He calls us to faithful presence. Faithful presence. It's both simple and harder than it sounds. Be faithful to people where you are. You see, in this age of social media, it's very easy for me to hear about the outrages on the other side of the world, for them to ping at me in seconds, and for me to get outraged in about that same amount of time. But how much better is it for me to be faithful here, where I am with my friends, with my family, to be faithful with the power I have here, while also realizing the limits of that power, how that power is limited when I don't deal with God personally, or when I think my power makes me a God unto myself. What's the sign of that? Well, what is it when that people with power are most afraid to lose? Power. If you become terrified of losing power, that's when you know there's a problem. That's when you know, like, Nebuchadnezzar, you've come to idolize that power. God wants you to have power, but also to be faithful in how and where you use it. And in Daniel 4, he reminds us of that. And he reminds us that however powerful anyone gets, there is one more powerful with a greater kingdom. Can you imagine for a moment what this story meant for an exile in Babylon with no power, with nothing to speak of? To be reminded that even this all-powerful king was to be judged by God. To be reminded that it is God who rules and God who judges. That God is in power no matter how things seem. Can you imagine for a moment what this story means for a Christian in North Korea? You might have seen these kind of stories in our church devotions that we're doing. To know that a seemingly all-powerful ruler will be judged by God. And that in the end, it is God who rules and God who judges. And that God is in power no matter how things may seem. Except there's a problem with that too. How do we know that this isn't just a a Pollyanna tale, a story for exiles that one day things will be okay, just keep your chin up, justice comes to the powerful as well? Isn't that what the accusation of an atheist is sometimes? Uh, Christianity is just a fairy story to make yourself feel better about life when things get tough? Is this just a narrative told to the powerless to make sure they don't lose hope? Well, we know the truth of this story because of another piece of history. Another part of history that's also about power and the powerless. About the God of the world, the God who is all-powerful, who came down to earth in the form of a man in the form of a baby, from powerful to powerless. And this baby, this Jesus, grew up and started speaking of a tree, as we heard in that second reading. 
a tree of the kingdom of God, a different tree to the one dreamt of by Nebuchadnezzar. And this man, Jesus, preached the kingdom of God until his death. And not only death, but death on a a cross. Again, a tree. A tree that brought him from power to humiliation and shame. And yet a tree that is greater than the tree of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. A tree that puts kings and emperors to shame. That brings us from death to life just as Jesus was brought from death to life. And we know that if he was raised to life again, then we are saved. Saved not in power, but in our powerlessness. For it is there that we find Jesus. It's there in our weakness that we know we need Jesus. For he is the one who has changed this world, who continues to change this world, and who can change you too. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your power and mercy. We ask that you help us to understand what it is to have power. And yet to know that all power comes from your hand. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering because of those in power over them. Give them peace and patience and perseverance. Help them look forward to the day that is coming. And help them and us to know Jesus, the one who has risen from the dead, to your right hand and to know that he is coming again. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.